Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You ever dance with the devil in the pale Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1989, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1989 from a basement crematorium here in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phyllis Gove. And with us today is a writer, producer, uh, someone who actually writes on shows you like, aside from these losers we've had on. <laughs> right? I'm kidding. We only have great writers because because um, because we uh, we 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 care about our audience. And today we're bringing you Leela Bayak, writer on Watchmen, Castle Rock, Leftovers. I, I someone Alan Seppin will almost lose his mind over, but. <laughs> <laughs> Alan has been very kind to me. <laughs> We've had out. Al- we actually had Alan on, and uh, and I know Alan is is in a lot of a lot for a lot of ways. The reasons that I went back to leftovers, and thank God I did because um, what a show, what an incredible what show. show, and what an experience. And uh, Watchmen is just a different animal altogether. Watchmen, you know, I mean, it's like it's the Notre Notre Dame of television. So <laughs> it's, um, it seems that way. It's wild. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> thanks so much for doing our little Patreon. It's so nice to have you. Oh, it's, it's a delight to be here. Uh, thank you for inviting me. And I've enjoyed your, your Twitter presence uh, as, as do well. I, oh, I am a you. big thank fan of, of writers who care about other writers. <laughs> so, and that is who I would say you are. So uh, thank you so much for coming on our show. Um, and I, I hope you have a, some well of empathy for uh, the people who wrote and created this movie. Cause I think we might need it. <laughs> Ooh, 
I, I don't mean that. I don't mean it's all right. So we're doing the burbs. The burbs. Doing the Tom burbs. Hanks. Tom Hanks' second movie of the year. Uh, it's true. He, we already did Turner and Hooch. Um, we had a real hoot with that one. <laughs> the Burbs is a different kind of thing. Um, Very much a different so. kind of movie directed by Joe Dante. Mm-hmm. Someone I'm really happy we get to cover on this podcast. Same. We didn't have a didn't have a 99 movie, so this is our first trip into Danteville, and I think we'll um, we'll uncover that a little bit. But uh, Dante's we- Inferno. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, indeed, indeed. There you go. But before we uh, we we break it down. Um, Right before the podcast, Lila, you were kind of getting into why you chose this movie because, you know, you did. We certainly did not. We would never have done this, but I'm kidding. <laughs> um, and uh, you chose, but but you did. You 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 wanted to do this movie and what it was about this movie that uh, I, I believe drew you back to it after having seen it in the theaters as a child. Something yeah. haunted you about the burbs. Yes. Yes. I've been haunted by the burbs for, uh, <laughs> you know, decades now. It seems that way. Um, so thank you for giving me the opportunity to revisit uh, my childhood nightmares. We're going to unpack uh, this. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to process this with you. Yep. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, is this covered by Guild Insurance, by the way? Oh, that'd be great if it was. That'd be something, <laughs> wouldn't it? Uh, it would, well, that would mean we would be getting paid. So, so yeah. no, but it's a free service. <laughs> Don't worry. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was, I was saying right before we started recording that this movie, this movie has really stuck with me. I think my, my dad took me to see it, um, in 1989, uh, when I was nine years old and, um, I have not seen it since until this week. Um, but something about it has stuck with me all these years and, revisiting it, I think I sort of started to get to the root of what it is. And part of it is that um, it is such a confusing mix of genres, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, it's sort of all over the place. It's like, it, it feels like a satire, like a comedy, but ultimately it kind of is a horror movie too. Um, And I think as a kid, I found that incredibly unsettling because Mm -hmm. the movie was telling me it was a comedy, but then it didn't sort of, it it didn't let the characters off the hook at the end. Like it was like coded as a comedy. It was coded as a comedy. And and the, the expectation setting was around the idea that like, Oh, all of these characters are, are imagining this dark scenario but then you get to the end and discover everything they're imagining is sort of much darker than, than they even thought. Um, and so as a kid, I think I found that really disturbing because I, I was, I was waiting for the, like the punchline of the joke and there's no punchline. And, um, and I think that I, like as a writer, I'm somebody who's really interested in blending genres and sort of like upending the expectations of like genre tropes. Um, And so I think that that's why the movie really stuck with me, but going back and revisiting it, it became more clear to me that the filmmakers were perhaps not as in control of those like tonal shifts as I perhaps remembered. (laughs) Well, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because the writer 
it feels to me as though the writer's original inspiration, at least it was based sort of on his own experiences in suburbia growing up as a kid. Um, he talks a little bit in a bunch of interviews about how, I guess, he felt like his town, he, he was fascinated with this idea that like the guy down the street could be Jack the Ripper. And this idea of like Ozzie and Harriet meets Charlie Manson, which in theory is an interesting thing, but that's closer to another movie we covered, which is Heather's. Like it feels right. to me like- if Another seminal movie in my childhood. <laughs> a tremendous dark comedy that really commits to the bit, whereas this movie doesn't fully commit- and you can't help but wonder, because the original ending, apparently, in the script was that Ray dies, that Werner kills Ray at the end. What? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know that that's a better ending, but it shows that, like, I think the writer actually kind of was on the wavelength that we're talking about a little bit of, like, wanting to go there. And then Universal and perhaps even Dante kind of rounding that's the edges off it. The, I don't know. That's not the there that I want him, where I want him to go. I'm not saying I want the that there, ending, just to be no, clear. No, the, yeah. like, the, the baseline, I think what Lila was saying about where's the punchline yeah. was what kind of left me so cold at the end. Sure. Which was essentially, like, Oh no, you are right. The others are bad. Like, yeah. Yeah, those people like, with foreign accents, like yeah. you should be suspicious of them. You were right when you when you, when you when you thought they were bad for no reason other than the fact that they weren't, you know, the, like the rest they were of were weird. You. Yeah, yeah. You were right. That's yeah. the you should and there is like you know, you 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 wanna you uh, the guy like Joe Dante who's made a lot of movies that I really like, and a guy like Tom Hanks. You really do want to like look for the silver lining and the benefit of the doubt. I couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. What I what I found was like kind of like this deep ugliness underneath it yes. that, that that really it yeah. really like kind of ripped me apart at the end um, and turned yeah. what I really wanted to be a movie that that I could come on this podcast and say uh, cult classic for a reason. <laughs> Instead, it has me being like. Yeah, it should be buried deeper underground. Yes. You know, like, like, <laughs> like, yes. it's just, like it should, it's not a, like, I, yeah. here, here, I'll, I'll, those, I, when you think about Tom Hanks and, you know, the Tom Hanks we became, he would be easy to become America's dad or whatever. Uh, and he's always made some weird movies. I do think this does occasionally come up in conversations about, you know, Tom Hanks yeah. used to be a bit of a wild man. Used to do some like wacky stuff with wacky, and he still does do wacky stuff. He's still down to do experiments, like. Uh, but but this is like you know a dark thing he used to do. Uh, I think this is a huge misstep, and thank God people didn't like recognize or people didn't like glom onto this because this could have derailed his whole career. Yeah, yeah. I, the headline. The headline is cancel the burbs. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just, I mean, I, I don't disagree with anything you guys are saying. I think that my, the feeling I had as as I finished watching this film was more uh, of a wasted opportunity. Like it, it's a burst. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it really feels like it's kind of all over the place, as you mentioned. It's a mishmash of things. It never fully really understands what it's doing. Um, the tone is kind of all over the place. Part of me also felt like there's also a, a Tim Burton or or a Barry Sonnenfeld version of this, a, a Beetlejuice Adams Family version of this, where Adams Family, yeah, Adams Family, where where you really could kind of 
find the dark humor that's really nestled in this. But to your point, both of your points, this becomes a very strange admonishment of the suburbs in a way that is kind of nasty in a weird way. Yeah, but it doesn't feel that way to me. It feels it, like right. it, it feels like they, they missed the opportunity to admonish the, the suburbs right, right, and, right, right, and right. The, the, the homogenous nature homogenous, of the suburbs yeah. and and the uh, you know, the, it's the, it's ironic that this was shot on the exact same, you know, street as Mysteria Beaver, but also, you know, Desperate Housewives, because Desperate Housewives was that Desperate Housewives was a lot of, you know, we're kind of sitting here in the corner and, and passing judgment on everybody who walks down this street and mm-hmm. coming up with these, you know, backstories for them. And, and in Desperate Housewives, for better or worse, they never proved to be true. Right. Well, I think that's, you know, I think we're getting to the real crux of the problem with this movie, which is that it doesn't know what it's satirizing. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a satire that's, that's all over the place because, at, at you know, at some points it, thinks that it's satirizing the suburbs and sort of suburban cult, conservative suburban culture of the 1980s, but ultimately it's endorsing that, yep. Yep. you know, it's a door. You're right. It's endorsing gentrification and it's endorsing um, uniformity. And I think I have two questions for you, Lila, to kind of frame the conversation. One is, uh, were you a, a product or are you a product of the suburbs? I grew up in like a, a, a college town like small, you know, but, but like a, a, you know, I grew up in like a house with like a big, a white picket fence and a maple tree out front. Okay. Like what town? Missoula, Montana. Okay. Of course. Everyone knows. Uh, is that University of Montana? University of Montana. Yep. Two blocks from the university. Nice. Uh, and then the second question is, and I know the answer to this for you, Phil, unfortunately, uh, were you a Nick? Were you a Nick kid? Nickelodeon. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Did you see a ton of like a direct line from this to the Pete and Pete's and the Are You Afraid of the Darks? And then going on to things like uh, things that weren't Nick, but things like Erie, uh, Erie, Ohio, Erie, Indiana, mm-hmm. and this like strain of a uh, goosebumps. This strain of like. Uh, Almost, you know, this this almost pre and you know the way I feel about American Beauty, but this pre American Beauty childhood view of the suburbs. Uh, there, there is some shit bubbling under the surface here in the suburbs that um, it's kind of this thing like before American Beauty, before grown ups started to think that, and like post uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, where it wasn't so much that like it, they're going to kill you. It was more just like there's some shit going on here that feels wrong and weird well that's I, also that's the blue velvet effect too to a certain degree blue right? velvet like, too yes yeah. very much so and yeah. that's true twin peaks and that's a lot of what lynch does but there is this thing where it's so weird to me you nailed it lila but it's so weird to me that they landed where they landed because if they had just turned it on our protagonist or our, you know our nominal yeah. protagonists then the movie would have worked. Yeah. yeah. There, were, there were so many ways to, I, Phil, I think you were right. Like there were so many ways that this movie could have worked and they just completely fucked it up. They botched it. I mean. <laughs> the botched yeah. job. Yeah. It's but a botched I, job. But I feel, well, there was this thing in the 80s, like late 80s, early 90s, this sort of cultural obsession with the suburbs and like what, 
you know, what is the dark heart of the American suburb? And this was also, by the way, like the moment of the satanic panic, right? Which like you kind of get a flavor of in the burbs when, uh, what's his name? The friend brings over that book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, of satanic rituals and, um, but like that was like a thing. That was like the QAnon of 1989, right? right? I was going to say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's like the the movie didn't didn't pick a lane. Like, are we are we satirizing the suburbs or or not? Um, well, the you know the other movie that I I, I if you want to go in this direction, which by the way is like not the craziest direction. I like I grew up in the in the suburbs of the suburbs, right? It was it couldn't have been you know more kind of like this um you know from a from a from a touch feel smell you know sensual kind of way um and down the street from me a guy killed his wife and child you know and uh there was plenty of stuff like that that you'd hear it you know once every two years some weird ass shit would happen where you're like wow this is a crazy thing to be happening in my town so i think of a movie like uh, Disturbia, which is not the world's greatest movie, but Rear Window in the Suburbs makes sense, right? Yeah, sure, Rear, sure. You know, Rear Window, the episode of The Simpsons from uh, Trials of Horror with Ned, like that stuff makes sense. That is the paranoia of being in the suburbs. And the fact is a lot of people go to the suburbs to escape, like a lot of Nazis went to Argentina. Um, it's that same vibe. Yeah. But, but again, I just can't get over where they landed. Well, you know, I, I I think that there's a a slightly different way of looking at this movie. Like, if you through through a contemporary lens, you can watch this movie and see that it's it's not really about the suburbs at all. It's about the problem of American masculinity. <laughs> you know, it's like all of these guys who. Uh, frankly, like Ray, the protagonist, the Tom Hanks character, like he's clearly clinically depressed, you know, like oh, he's yeah. miserable from the beginning. And it's not really clear. He just has this kind of like unspecified malaise and um, clearly like is not respected by his wife and he doesn't really seem to respect her. They don't have a good marriage. And all of the men in the neighborhood seem to sort of, um, need something to fixate on. Like their lives are deeply unfulfilling and the wives all seem perfectly happy, although they're not real characters at all. Um, but the men are just sort of like, like need something to hunt, you know? Um, and it's, it's quite disturbing actually Yep. in a way that he doesn't, understand there's a current show that does this exact thing but not with men with more like young girls younger women uh anyone search no. party that's what this oh. is about. search party is about sure, search sure, party sure, sure. is about sure it's about looking for looking for meaning in all the wrong places sure right and anything that feels exciting or anything that feels like you can be a yeah. hero or you can be important mm-hmm. or you can post something important uh, will draw your attention away from the boring, you know, work of building a life for yourself. Uh, I think it's 
So, so I was thinking a lot about how Search Party did this, but everything was right in Search Party. Yeah, everything's yeah, perfect exactly. in that Probably show. Probably my favorite show of last year. I, I yeah, it's the perfect television show. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so, it's a phenomenal yeah. show. Yeah, yeah. No, but but you're you're right in that I was thinking a lot again. I can't say this enough. It makes absolutely no sense that they were right. It makes no sense. It, it undercuts our entire argument here. Yep. But but <laughs> watching the movie, it does feel like all these men are looking for meaning in their um, me- otherwise meaningless life that they have chose. They, they they have decided their lives are meaningless, right? Yeah. They have chosen to not be there for their kids. They have chosen to not be a, a functional part of their marriages. Yeah. They've chosen to like go off on these ridiculous flights of fancy, like Bruce Dern's character, who I'm very impressed with in this movie, gives it 110%. Bruce Dern was amazing. <laughs> Bruce Dern's great. He, tremendous, tremendous. Knew what movie he was in. Yep. You knew how to, you knew how to have the most fun. I about Corey Feldman, too, at some point. I, I actually, I mean, I don't, I don't actually think the casting is the problem in this no, film, no, ultimately. it's not. But I would also say something else that I think is worth noting in terms of just from a writing perspective is that this movie, because of the way it ends, is deeply predictable. It's actually a very straight line. There's so there's no twists. No. So it's actually a, a surprisingly boring movie on top of everything yeah. else because you spend almost more than half the movie, the antagonist is a house, a, a creepy house. <laughs> yeah. So you're just like, well, what the, the fuck is this? What a am I house. <laughs> What am I supposed to do with this? And then eventually they go inside the house and, and, and then at least there's it's populated with people. There's some good characters in there, sort of. But like ultimately, it's like it's the opposite of screenwriting 101. It's like they've done all the things wrong. It's yeah. very strange. Yeah. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah. But then I have to say that like the last 20 minutes or so, I was kind of on board with it, not in terms of the, the turns necessarily or what it's saying, but like the energy of it. Like at least the film found like... Uh, it found a lane a little bit. Like it felt, it felt like it at least sort of the tone started to make sense. It at least kind of had this kind of crazy manic energy to it. Yeah. that I quite frankly wish the rest of the film had. There's no energy in the earlier part of the movie. You know, I was thinking, do you do this thing where you like when a when a movie or a TV show isn't working, you start like rewriting it in your your head? <laughs> like, how much better would it have been just as the initial setup if Tom Hanks? has been waiting all year for his lake trip. Like he's, right. he's, he, all he wants is to go to the lake. And for some reason there's a delay. His wife can't go until the next day. So he has to wait. And while he's waiting, he becomes fixated on the neighbors next door. Sure. And then when she's ready to go to the lake, he's like, can't go to the lake. You I already made the movie better. <laughs> <laughs> made the movie much better. Yeah. Cause it gives him like, it, it, there's no drive. He has no character. <laughs> it's like, he, yeah. But I would even I would even say, uh, all right. So first thing I was thinking was, I think I would have liked this movie just a little more if it was called Staycation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, because I because my my sense is like the only reason people consider this a movie like a, like a seminal movie about suburb living is because it's called The Burbs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually not really about the suburbs. No. Yeah. It's more about a guy who wants to have a staycation, a quiet staycation, and he can't get out of his own way. So I would have really I would have really uh, actually had him have a staycation. I would have had his quiet ruined. I would have had his whatever it is that he wanted to do, like lay like like lay out on the grass and zone out ruined by this little paranoia in his ear. And I don't and, and. 
I don't know. This feels like a very Joe Dante thing. But the other thing that I can't really wrap my head around is like, that house was hideous. The bad guy house. <laughs> like that house was that the house is a problem. You know? Like, like, like multiple HOA violations. Like, that, house is, <laughs> that, that house is wafting asbestos towards yeah. the rest of the neighborhood. Yeah. That house, that house is a clear fire hazard. That I wouldn't have gone near that house. I I think like I think that the the reason this is you know, I, I obviously you watch a movie, you think, is this Burton? Because any movie that goes, you know, in this direction, is this Tim Burton? And the thing that Tim Burton always does is um, every character, usually with the exception of one, is some creation of only Burton's imagination. So even the quote unquote, like normal people are still the kind of wild human beings who would knock on the door of this house, you know? And maybe there's one person who's just like, uh, how did I wind up here? Yeah. Whereas everyone in this, even Bruce Dern to some extent, like still feels like products of the real world who mm-hmm. would probably have a different way of dealing with these people if they actually became uh, a problem, which they weren't. They didn't have that nosy neighbor vibe to them, I think. Yeah, it's just, it's, I mean, truthfully, they're just, they're very flatly written. I mean, I think that one of the the most damning things I can say about this movie is it completely wastes Carrie Fisher. Like Carrie Fisher, who, I mean, obviously is just, you know, is, was the best. And you're just like, you, you gave her the, the kind of the wife role that doesn't really do anything and is essentially shown the door for the third act of the movie. It's just such a bummer. She has nothing to do. Nothing to do. Nothing. Nothing I mean, all of the just like throwaway misogyny all over the oh, movie yeah. that like yeah. is so, you know, so tone deaf to a contemporary year. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, Carrie Fisher, she has no, there's, there's no character there. And I thought, I thought when she shows, she shows at least some initiative at, of forcing them to go over there and like knock on the door and does. like actually, and, and I liked that. And I was like, okay, cool. Maybe like this will, sh- and then nothing. Like they just, they just use her as yeah. a, as a foil. And then basically. she winds up being completely wrong. Yeah. Oh, he w- her husband was right all along to be suspicious. Yeah. 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 Not a great look. Um, I'm going to give a very brief synopsis of this for our audience who might not have seen The Burbs. Uh, setting in, settling in for some time off in his suburban home, Ray Peterson, played by Tom Hanks, um, for his vacation, that is, becomes a horror when the Klopex? 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 Oh, yeah, Klopex. Klopex. A suspiciously odd family move in down the block, enlisting the aid of his paranoid buddy Art and his militiaman neighbor, Rumsfield, played by Bruce Dern. Ray sends his son and wife, Rumsfield. Carrie Fisher, away on a trip while he investigates the Klopex. Uh, when a neighbor disappears, Ray and his cohorts risk their lives to save their cul-de-sac from the clutches of evil. Written by Dana Olson, directed by Joe Dante. The Burbs opened on February 17th, 1999, in first place with $11 million, ahead of Rain... 89, yeah. Uh, sorry, did I say 99? Yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> 89, you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> ahead of Rain Man and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, it would go on to make just shy of $50 million on an $18 million budget. It's got 53% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 71% from audiences. 
just going to read a very brief clip from Ebert's two-star review where he says, The Verbs tries to position itself somewhere between Beetlejuice and the Twilight Zone, but it lacks the dementia of the first and the wicked intelligence of the second and turns instead into a long, shaggy dog story. It's hard to put your finger on exactly what's missing from the movie. The actors do what they can with the material and the special effects are ambitious, but somehow the movie fails to rouse itself into any real conviction. It's cut and dried. We anticipate the major events in the story and we're right. And when the explanation of the strange family's behavior finally arrives, it's not much of a surprise. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really disagree with any of that. It's, it's, it is a, I was, so in terms of like, I don't know uh, what your backstory is with this uh, movie, Kenny, and I'm obviously curious to hear. Uh, Mine is zero. So I'll tell oh, you had never seen it before this. I'd okay. never seen it. And I, the only real thing, the only thing I had is I hated the title. I have always hated the title. <laughs> sure. And I remember it was played on my local station a lot. And I was always kind of turned off by even considering to, there's something about it that always kind of made me kind of uh, queasy. Fair enough. I so <laughs> so I think I saw this film around '89. I didn't see it in the theater um, because uh, I'm a big scaredy cat, and my parents knew better than to take me to a film that looked even remotely spooky in some way or another, even though it was a Tom Hanks movie. Um, so I definitely saw it around that time. And similar to you, I was kind of haunted by it because um, I didn't really understand it. Like it just, it, 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 I, as you said, the tone was so all over the place that I wasn't sure how I was supposed to feel about it. And I didn't like not feeling like I understood what was, how I was supposed to feel. Um, but I, I think it's interesting that this film does have this cult status about it. And I think ultimately that really just comes down to Joe Dante. Like I really think that people just. Me too. Love Joe Dante, understandably so. Gremlins is a masterpiece. I loved Inner Space as a kid. Like, I, I understand why people love Joe Dante. Um, but this isn't a particularly good movie, nor does it really work to his strengths in a weird way. Um, I also felt like, so the whole thing was shot on the Universal lot. Like, they never leave that cul-de-sac. <laughs> Um, which makes it feel very small and makes it feel like um, hermetically sealed in a way that doesn't help the story either. I, I hated that it was shot there, honestly. <laughs> I mean, and then that's it. That's that's a product of being in Hollywood too long and having gone to Universal too many times. But uh, it never felt it never felt like the suburbs to me, and it also never felt um, like an artifice. It, I, I I can appreciate if you're trying to go for artifice, but it. It, it definitely felt like they were trying to go to, for verisimilitude. So it really didn't play the way I think they wanted to. And again, because I'm being a dick and I'm, I'm looking at Bruce Dern on his roof and I see, you know, downtown in the background and the hills behind him. And the whole thing feels like, like you California. just didn't try that hard. Yeah. 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 It was supposed to be the Midwest, I think, but it looked like it was. Yeah. I think they, because you only know that because they zoom out from the, uh, right. at the end, it's, yep. it looks like Iowa, Illinois yeah. area, but. Um, yeah, it, it couldn't look more Californian. Uh, For eucalyptus trees. <laughs> yeah. I, Can I also, I just, I want to talk about the Tom Hanks uh, of it all for, for a quick second here, because I do think you made a good point, Kenny, in terms of how, like, this could have derailed him. I mean, thankfully, he makes A League of Their Own in 92, and that essentially sends him on the trajectory that we know today. Um, but what I do think is interesting is he was excited about doing this movie. You know, I think that there was something, or at least in the interviews that I read, and take that for what it's worth, but it does feel like he saw this as a Jimmy Stewart type role. Like he saw this as like his quote unquote rear window. And he saw Joe Dante's work and thought, 
well, this one's going to have all this really interesting energy. But I have to say, this is a laconic Tom Hanks performance. He is so boring in this movie. Yeah. But he has no, there's no character. He's not playing anything. And I, and I think like the, you know, um, both, both my pitch for how to improve the setup and yours, Kenny is like what they have in common is like giving that character an objective, which he does not have. (laughs) Like, it's just crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, I, and- I agree. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's just it's interesting. So he he makes big. He gets nominated for big in eighty eight. Uh, that movie comes out, and then this is the film that follows it up. So this comes out in February. He's on the cover of magazines. He's got his Oscar nomination. He's you know riding high, um, and then he makes Turner and Hooch, which are just like. I when, when like thinking of those two performances back to back, Kenny having done Turner and Hooch a few weeks ago, I'm just like this guy feels trapped. This guy feels like he is just like, what is this? How did I get stuck in these fucking dead roles? Yeah, it's not it, so big. Is a tough. Think about where Tom Hanks was in the '80s, right? Tom sure. Hanks is doing Bosom Buddies, which you know is its sure. own. It's its own like how do i break out of this kind of role right right not only is it television but it's drag it's that's a beautiful glory never did break out of it so um i mean he did but you know what i mean like people yeah. still associate yeah. him with that sure he did some movie he did splash which is obviously big hit he did bachelor sure. party which is like his gonzo movie that i think kind of works he did a few movies that like just you know were kind of failures some people yeah. like dragnet money pit splash um Splash was Splash a big was movie. A huge hit. Splash yeah. was a huge hit, and then he yeah. gets then he gets leading roles, right? Yep. By I'd say by the time he's in big, uh, he's de- it's definitely a leading role, but it does kind of it does kind of do something to him that I think was probably weird for him, which was make him into this man child, right? <laughs> which yeah. is what I don't right. think Tom Hanks like naturally is. He's an excellent actor. He has incredible energy. Sure. And uh, and part of the reason he's nominated for it, part of the reason why it's so great is because he, you know, really just owns that role of Josh Baskin. But after that, it's a what do I do? Sure. So I do think the Burbs and Turner and Hooch and Joe versus the Volcano, for that matter. I love Joe versus the Volcano. I'm just, it's a good I, movie. But I, they, all, they all kind of play at these four quadrant things that Big played to. Right. This can he be a four quadrant star, which eventually he he becomes, mm-hmm. and they didn't quite take off. Like all three of those movies were not yes. massive hits. No. Then he does the crazy thing, Bonfire, which the is Bonfire of the Vanities. <laughs> you know, and it's not. I mean, it's not crazy on paper, but it's like it ages him up about twenty years. He plays a you know Wall Street tycoon who murders of someone. It's awful, and it's and horribly he, miscast. And the thing about League of Their Own that I think is like kind of forgotten is that is that is a comeback role. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He was a that is a he was a supporting character. Mm-hmm. He was playing very much against type, like yep. very much against type. And I think he did kind of win his way back into people's hearts that way. And yep. because of that, thank God they took out the kissing scene that you know. You oh my find God, online, which is. One of the worst things you'll ever watch. If you've ever seen the deleted scene from A League of Their Own where Dottie and uh, where Tom Hanks and her kiss, and it is the worst on thing the ever. Mound, and on would the have mound. ruined the entire film. Like it's, it, it is unbelievable. Both their careers. <laughs> like oh it is crazy God. to see. Oh, but, oh, on the, the mound. Yeah. The beauty of that on the mound and on the mouth. 
Yes. The beauty of that, both about, of, of taking that out and not making Tom Hanks say yeah. romantic lead is he is very attractive in that movie. He's great. And you are kind of begging for him mm-hmm. to, to step into those reluctant leading man roles, those romantic leading man roles, which he does right away with Sleeping with yeah. Sleeps in Seattle. And from there, it's off. Yeah. Rocket ride, right? Yeah. So I back to the, the burbs. I think he was lost about what to do next and who sure. he was going to be next. I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with any of that, and and I I think that's a, a perfect dissection of all of that. I think it's 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 interesting what you said about a League of Their Own, which is true. Which she had to fight for that role. Uh, he was not like Penny Marshall's first choice. She had obviously directed him in Big, and the hoops he had to jump through. He's talked about in order to get that role. Um, and thank God much, it happened. It's a much older man's role, for sure. You know, like yeah. you. It is. It is. I mean, I yeah. don't really know how old Tom Hanks was at the time, but you're talking. You want you want the guy to be. 40 and look about 55, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. It's, it's a, but I, but I agree with you. It, it feels like, you know, seeing the Burbs and, and watching Turner and Hooch, both of those films, it's kind of, it's a little sad to watch because you do see a guy who's, who's struggling to find his lane. Um, and, this film in the right hands could have actually been a really interesting thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to say that, I mean, Listen, we don't know the machinations of obviously what was going on behind the scenes, but this does feel like a film that is kind of pulling at the bridle a little bit of wanting to perhaps go to places that it can't really go. It's possible that Universal was holding it back. I don't know. But like hearing stories about what the original ending was and what the original script was, it certainly feels like perhaps once Tom Hanks comes into this movie, the edges get rounded off it a little bit. I I don't know, but... Um, but it does just feel very strange. Like I, I, for that first, honestly, that first hour, I found myself just being like, "What is this movie oh, yeah. about?" <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I watched it with my husband. Mm-hmm. Failed after the first forty minutes. He was like, "You're on your own. Oh, oh, oh no! <laughs> You're a I'm good sorry. Now I feel guest. bad. Yeah, yeah. You care." <laughs> We appreciate you sticking it, would, it out. It's been amazing if I had just come on and been like, guys, I'm so sorry, but I only watched the first 40 minutes. You're going to have to fill me in. I think I would have understood. I actually would have understood too, quite frankly. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's worth, we obviously it's worth jumping. I want to jump through the plot a little bit and just hit sort of the big beats, but. But I have to say that the movie opens with this crazy kind of digital zoom from into the Universal logo, um, as many a movie has done up until this point but uh, and since. But um, I love the, the Jerry Goldsmith score is great. He was a tremendous composer. Um, it's got a great eerie vibe to it. Like it starts with a great vibe. That first shot, I was like, yeah, OK, maybe this movie's going to be great. Like I was in. And then, honestly, within the first ten minutes, I was just like, "Oh, you guys just pissed this away!" Like, I'm just like, "What's going maybe on?" I'm, maybe I'm out. Maybe I'm out. Hey, I mean, Rear Window is probably my favorite movie of all time. Oh wow, um, it's a great movie. I, I just love Rear Window, and this movie is clearly like so in the debt of Rear Window, oh, but no. doesn't actually seem to like it, understand it's like, it. No, doesn't understand it or appreciate it. It's sort of like somebody watched Rear Window once like 30 years earlier and then sort of tried to reconstruct it from memory, but like didn't actually engage with any of the ideas. It's like one of those things that I think Hollywood writers do a lot. I never do, of course, Uh, is say it's going to be like this. 
It's this and meets it, this. It, yeah. And the, the this is something you've never actually seen. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like Rear Window. And all you know is that there's a guy who looks out a rear window. Right. Whose neighbors are up to stuff. I know. I know. It's like I've... I've, I've, I've I I told Phil I'm watching Taxi from the beginning right now because I oh, literally wow. just literally just pitched a show. I'm like, it's gonna be a Taxi. Oh yeah, I've never actually watched. Taxi. I guess I should watch Taxi. <laughs> I should get into it. <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, it's it really does start with an interesting energy, but but quickly pisses it away. But essentially, it introduces Ray. It introduces his his week long vacation. Introduces the various neighbors he has around him. His friend Art. Um, uh, no perspective whatsoever. No perspective. None whatsoever. <laughs> not into art. I'm not into art. Uh, uh, that that yeah. guy. That guy is in Groundhog Day. I believe so. Oh yeah. And he's, he's lovely in Groundhog Day. He's, he's one a good actor. Like, I don't have a one of the drunks. <laughs> I think he's one of the drunks yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. who Phil Phil drives off the. Mm-hmm. No, no. He does that with he he put he's one of the drunks on the train track. Mm-hmm. He's the one who actually has lines. And um, he's great in that, but I don't need a whole movie of that guy. No, and I and it's it is unfortunate that he's essentially our number two. Like he's the kind of wacky sidekick he character, is, he is. and he's just and and it doesn't work. Not only are the lines not great, it should also be said. This is something for context that's that's helpful. Uh, is that this film was uh, was shot during the writer strike in '88. So um, the writer wasn't um, allowed to. So the writer who appeared in the film. Some things very clear. Right? Right? (laughs) So the writer was given a role in the movie so he could be on set, but was not actually allowed and prohibited to, to contribute to the script in any way, which I think we all know he definitely did, but that's neither here nor there. Monster. which which character is he? I I couldn't find out which character it was. I think he was literally like a, an extra or something. They literally say, just gave him a role. It says cop. Oh, there you go. Okay, so he's a cop. So uh, there um, was a there was a cop with lines, but it was not him. The one who Corey Feldman like jumps on his car. Not <laughs> probably <laughs> probably. Um, so because of this, everyone was encouraged to improvise. <laughs> okay. Got it. So Art's yep. character really okay. kind of comes into focus when you see it that way, when you're just like, okay, okay, I guess they just let this actor off the chain to do whatever he wants. Okay. Well, you know, if you're, if you're going to let an actor off the chain, let that guy. <laughs> I, I guess. Um, but uh, really clarifying. I mean, <laughs> who knows? But like, I think part, part of the problem with the movie is that like even the Tom Hanks character... Yep. Has no, there's no consistency in his like, like what are we tracking with him from scene to scene? You know, like mm-hmm. one scene he's he's obsessed with figuring out what's going on next door, and then in the next scene it feels like Art comes over and has to like drag him mm-hmm. to get invested in it, mm-hmm. um, and it just feels like there's no coherent story. The, That's this part, movie, yeah, sorry, yeah. Well, your you, your point about Rear Window is like a really good one because Rear Window is about like. Paranoid upset, paranoia and obsession, right? That's of course where you should be starting with this movie. At the very least, like he should be obsessed, like uh, to the point. Where, you know, the thing is, it's funny, Phil. I one of the first notes I had was that the shares DNA with uh, Field of Dreams because it's oh, about yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's about a you know suburban or a rural guy, but just about a family man who has this wacky idea and everyone thinks he's crazy for it and he still pursues it. But in Field of the Dreams, like he never stops being obsessed. He keeps pushing and pushing and pushing and keeps going and going. In this, you're rightly like he's just kind of 
way wobbling through this, wavering mm-hmm. through this. And like, he's almost, you're, I mean, Art's dragging him. Bruce Dern's character is dragging him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Corey Feldman is adorable and I would have preferred him as you know, the Christian Slater character in Heather's versus Christian Slater. But he's again, not really there for any real reason, except to get Corey Feldman in the movie. He's probably on a lot doing Dream a Little Dream or something. <laughs> uh I also didn't understand his character. Like, did his character have a house? Was that his house? Parents. <laughs> I was just very I confused. Love the, I love the idea that there's a 17 year old kid just chilling <laughs> on the block. Yeah, like what? I, I no, I, I, I agree. I do agree with with the idea that this being shot during the writer's strike does feel very sort of. Okay, we're going to try to bang this out while we can because we don't know if, you know, so the script probably just didn't have the passes that it needed done to it. And and you mentioned, Kenny, the, the, the rear window of it all, which is that from the jump, Jimmy Stewart is immediately invested in that. The fact that it takes us a good half an hour before Ray actually gets on board is just frustrating and annoying because you're just like, you know that he's going to, so why do we have to piss around with this nonsense? Uh, but it does uh, take I that did, long. I, I, I didn't like this movie. <laughs> yeah. I, don't think, I don't think any of us like. this I didn't movie. like this movie. I think I, I, I like, I was, I mean, you'll see my score at the end. I was wishy-washy, but now, now like really thinking about it, yeah, about, I was how, about just how confused it was Terrible. and how, just how, how directionless it was. Yep. Because uh, I, I guess I really did think like the problem with this movie was was how it ended, and my my score reflects that. But the the it, it, problems are from day are from the moment it started. I agree yeah. with you guys. It's yeah. like it's so directionless. It's it's so frustrating. It's so disappointing. And the ultimate like there is a twist, and the twist sucks. The <laughs> so the. The inciting incident in this movie is they have a uh, a neighbor who lives at the end of this cul-de-sac, reminiscent of Mr. Wilson from Dennis the Menace. Uh, he wears Very a toupee. Yeah. He has a little dog. The dog poops on other people's lawns. He's he's yeah. delightful. Uh, he goes he goes missing, and the assumption is that the you know creepy family next door killed him. Right. We find out. Uh, three quarters of the way through the movie, that this guy what he just went on a vacation? No, he went to the hospital. Went to the hospital. You want? That's what I meant. A vacation to the hospital. But left his dog, and nobody. Yeah, I know. I don't know if I've told you this, but I get very jealous of people go to the hospital these days because it seems like a a nice place to chill out and relax. Um, (laughs) It's nice to get out of the house and go to the hospital for for a few days. So he goes to the hospital. And he comes back. So, so the inciting incident was a red herring, and yet they still were up to no good. So, I, I like that sucked. Yeah, it, it, it turns out that the the creepy neighbors next door did not kill the guy down the block, but they've killed like dozens of other people. Correct. And the, the previous owners, the previous owners of right. the, oh, yeah, of the, the, the house. naps. They killed the naps. naps. Yeah. yeah, the naps are taking a dirt nap. Indeed, you think that was on indeed. purpose. I have no idea. My joke was, <laughs> I I think that to your point, um, Walter, I believe, is the character who yeah. disappears. Um, when he comes back, it is not particularly clear as to where he was, why, what happened, happened, um, 
And so much so that you're just, it all just feels very placeholdery. <laughs> like all of the things that happen in this script feel like, all right, well, we'll put this here for now. Um, and then oh, just yeah, didn't change it. Yeah. Hopefully there won't be a writer's strike that prevents <laughs> second draft. Yeah, exactly. I, I guess, and I guess what I was, was the point I, I forgot I was making, the point I'm making yeah. is the, the plot, the conflict, uh, inciting incident, uh, the action of this movie, the business of this movie is mm-hmm. so pedestrian. Oh yeah. Like it's so run of the mill. Like I actually, and I assumed with Joe Dante, like before this movie, having watched a good deal of his movies, that the business of this movie would be fun. You know, that there was like, there was some, some, some unique take. Mm-hmm. And I'm not asking for blue velvet, but some unique take Yep. On what actually is going on in these suburbs? Zero specificity to any of it. Nothing. Any of it. Nothing. It's it. It couldn't. It, it's it's what. And I God bless him, and I'm impressed that he can do this. It's what my son would have come up with, <laughs> and, and 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 very impressive for a nine year old because we're writing a script right now. But uh, but but in terms of like a grown up who does this for a career, very boring, very yeah. rote. I mean, you know. Yeah, sorry. Even when you when 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 Ray says at the beginning, when his wife says, like, well, what are you gonna do here all week if you're not, you know, mm-hmm. at the lake? And his answer is like, I forget what he says, but it's basically like drink beers and smoke cigarettes. Bunch, yeah. Drink a bunch of beers and smoke Cig- some cigars or whatever. And you're yeah. like, that's literally the best line you can come up with. Like yeah. this is a person who has no specificity. No. Couldn't come up with some books he wanted to read. You couldn't come up with something. Like it's 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 amazing to me how lazy this movie okay. is. It's it is very sort of um yeah. I don't I don't know why. Inadvertently, <laughs> I, I think, you know, inadvertently it winds up becoming like a deeply xenophobic movie, right? It's like all oh, of yes. like yes. <laughs> they're like they're, they're suspicious of the foreigners next door mm-hmm. and yes. and again like just this just goes back to like watching it as a kid as a kid yeah. you're like well clearly this is a message about how we shouldn't you know judge the foreigners next door too harshly just because they're different from us but then it is and, saying you know, that then <laughs> no they're there's they're serial killers it's you know kenny you were talking about joe dante and and Say what you will about Joe Dante in terms of like whether or not uh, all of his movies work and, and spoiler, they don't. But I do think <laughs> that uh, that the ones that do work tend to be pretty gonzo, right? Like they tend to be going for it. I think that, you know, Gremlins is a crazy movie, but like it works because he gets what type of movie he's making. I would even say that Inner Space, which comes out two years before this film, uh which I really have a fondness for as a kid and still today, like at least it's got a lot going on. It's kind of crazy. It, it, you know, it's again, these are both Spielberg produced movies. So there is that, but this movie just doesn't know what it wants to be. I'm going to read what I, what I wrote at the end. Okay. Because like speak, because I think it speaks to what you're talking about. I think this is a mess lacking any undergirding in human emotions it's not observant enough to be satire. It's not funny enough to be farce. It's too critical of its protagonist to be horror. It can't be social commentary about modern mistrust and paranoia because the others are actually murderers. 
It's just a silly lark. It's lost in a tonal netherworld. And I think like when you're talking about Gremlins, yep. which I love, yeah. Gremlins is rooted in human emotion, even if the human is gizmo. But like it's, ro- it's rooted in like a connection the boy feels for his pet or his friend and these these villains who are out to stop it. It's so simple. It's right? also a this better stuff- depiction of the suburbs. <laughs> Gremlins is awesome. Like Gremlins is is like just an awesome, fun, wild, wacky movie. And again, like I bring back something I said in the beginning is like I because of movies like that where he sticks to the landing in something that's like absurd and like should never work. You do want to like look for the silver lining. The the the, what's the what's the most generous reading of this movie? And I. The only thing I can, the only thing I can find, the only thing I could say, and I certainly don't think this is this is def- defending in any other way. This is damning and faint praises. The ending is like some real um, nihilistic. None of it matters. Like this is crazy shit. Right. I'm a crazy filmmaker. We did crazy things in this movie. Like the end is absurd. The beginning's absurd. The suburbs are absurd. American life is absurd. It's all ridiculous. Uh, None of it matters because like there's this weird moment where you I at least thought it was going to go in the direction of these people aren't murderers like anybody else would have done. Uh, And and Tom Hanks gives a big fucking speech. Yeah. Yeah. How wrong. He literally he literally says monsters. Yeah. yeah. He says we're the lunatics, not them. Big long speech where I'm like. All right, so okay. you're going to the, well, I, I'm not going okay. I'm going like, how dumb do you think I am? You don't need me. I mean, like, I could, I could take this away from this movie without you telling me what it's about. And then that's not what it's about. So it does kind of make me think, like, maybe he's getting at that that's a trite message. Ah, no. Well, it makes me wonder whether or not. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. They did have an ending where they weren't the bad guys, but that the studio didn't think it would be exciting enough. Because, like, I, I don't know, but it does, like, looking at the end of this movie, right? Like, the the last, let's just say the last seven minutes where, like, <laughs> where Tom Hanks gets in an ambulance and then the, the, the old neighbor gets in there with him and tries to kill him with, a, with an injection and then they fly out of the ambulance and then you open up a trunk and you've got a whole bunch of skeletons. Like it all feels so <laughs> that was funny. 
they have all the skeletons in their trunk? Unclear. Why? Well, I thought they were. I thought they were burying the skeletons, but I guess they just stick them in the trunk too. I too many skeletons. <laughs> That's what this should have been called, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, it's to me, it's like. It does feel very like, and then this happens and this happens and it's all crazy. Yeah. And like, so yeah. on some level, I wonder if there was a version of this where they weren't the bad guys. I don't know. Yeah. Because that speech would make sense. Well, then. I mean, you definitely get to the end and you're like, and you know, Tom Hanks is, is all, uh, he's just walked out of the, the gas. <laughs> the only good part of the movie. And, and now he's walking down the street with Carrie Fisher and they've got their arms around each mm-hmm. other. And it's like, Suddenly their marriage feels better for some reason, although it's not clear why, but you're just sort of like, well, what? And now he wants to go to the lake, right? At the end. It's like, okay, now he's, he's come around and he wants to go to the lake, but there's no sense of like how any of the events of the last hour and 45 going to be a different person on the other side of the it's it's madness. It's it's definitely. I mean, so I want to just uh, rewind very quickly to one sequence that actually did uh, pop for me, I guess, which is the dream sequence that he has about midway through the film, where he's dreams of being barbecued on a giant barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Where, I mean, it, it was arresting. Like, I did find myself going, like, I don't know what the fuck this is or why this is here. Like, well, what purpose did it serve? Well, it was, it was insane, p- partly because they, in order to, and I wonder if this was, like, a, an, at, like a, a fix for a studio note or something. Sure. That, like, they set it up by having Ray <laughs> flip through channels on his TV in his bedroom right before falling asleep. Right, right. And, and every station he flips to yeah, has just movie. a little clip of someone being murdered mm-hmm. in a horror movie. And then his his nightmare just conveniently remixes exactly those parts of the horror movies that he's just seen right before he fell asleep. So it actually ultimately doesn't feel like it's saying anything about <laughs> psychology. It's just like, oh... Here's all the things that I just watched right before I fell asleep. Yeah. Wouldn't it be funny if we tied Tom Hanks to a giant barbecue? Like, yeah. it is essentially what it feels like. It was kind of funny, I guess. It was kind of funny. And and by the way, like, <laughs> I, I liked that for the first time the film had, like, a real visual flair for a second there. Because it does feel like, and I know that this is part of the point, but, like, the suburbs are a pretty boring palette to play with, right? So... Again, you just find yourself wanting to get inside that fucking house because the house is the only interesting thing on the block. Like, it's the only interesting thing that's, quite frankly, in the movie. So when you see Ray's dream sequence, I did find myself going like, oh, well, okay, like this has got some, it's got some some energy here. You then have Ray waking up the next morning and watching Mr. Rogers, which is obviously very cute now since he's played Mr. Rogers. Right. Um, which is a nice thing. Um, then the next day, Ray's dog brings home the cleanest human femur bone you've ever seen in your that life. That was insane. Was I'm it sure in the Flintstones? I'm sure he bit it clean. I'm sure he bit all the tendons. And- oh, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. It looked like the biggest prop I've ever seen in my life. Like, it was embarrassing. It was crazy. It was crazy. Well, that, that's, part, that's part of this Neverworld, Netherworlder in. Yes. Between, yes, yes. you know, reality and... Yes, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, the thing that I thought was so strange about the dream sequence, though, is that, like, I mean, as writers, we know that, like, the idea of 
of the dream sequence. Like you write a dream sequence when you desperately need to like convey to the audience what's, what's going on in their head. What's going on in the character's head. But like, it does not do that in any way. It's just sort of like, it's, it's all about what's happening externally, not what's happening internally. Right. Yeah. It, 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 it yeah. does kind of speak to my theory that this is a, you know, nihilistic go fuck yourself of a movie. But yeah, like, like, like how like, how dare you think that I would give you a good, coherent movie? Ha, ha, ha. I'm Joe Dunn. on you. I made it in space. I'm a crazy bastard. Uh, well, I, I, and I am getting angrier and angrier as we're talking, despite, <laughs> your smi- despite the smile on my face, because I keep... I mean, Lily, you said it early in the pod, like, when you were talking about what this movie's really about. Like, there's something there. Like there is definitely like obviously it's been played with over and over and over in uh, American pop culture. Uh, the idea of like the you know kind of uh, emasculated family man, right? Mm-hmm. And what they do to like reclaim their masculinity, and the ways in which that like you know kind of explodes all over everyone they allegedly love and everything they're they you know apparently they they do and care about. And I think there is, you know, there, there's definitely something here from that seed that grew in such a twisted and ugly way that it. Those are the kind of movies that make me the maddest. Um, like the ones that, like the ones that, like aren't complete lost causes, but the ones that, like, make all the left turns and you should be turning right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I think that that that's what this movie is, and it's like it's not enjoyable in any way no well can i so there's after they find the femur there's a moment when they both go this is walter and then the camera they start well, screaming and the camera's on his zooming femur, in on the, it's, it's I'm said like, what femur. is this said walter i know but like i just that moment made me think of like wayne's world like i was just like well, i don't even know what the tone like i know yeah. it's a, it's a, it's not a not funny moment but it's also like it's out of a different movie totally, totally. I, I just there's also one other thing so they go over to so carol convinces them to go over to the over to the the Klopax house and i did enjoy the <laughs> i guess you would say Sorry. the appetizers <laughs> which was yeah. i enjoyed hans the son <laughs> Putting a sardine on a pretzel and forcing yeah. Tom Hanks to eat it. That's the highlight of this movie, I yeah, think. Yeah, it, it was. It, it was the highlight, <laughs> I have to say. Uh, I, I do think, it too. No, that was the best line in the movie, I think, was when, uh, I don't even know her name, Rumsfeld's wife. Sure, 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 yes. When she declines the, the sardine and says, Oh my God, yeah. Trying to cut back. <laughs> Speaking of that actor, um, her name is, I believe it's Wendy Shawl. Okay, and is appara- she like Kristen Shawl? I don't know. It's spelled the same way, so I don't know. But there's a moment, there's a great uh, piece of trivia that I read. So Tom Hanks gave everybody notes and like a gift at the end of the at the end of the movie. Oh, what a and guy. He gave- He's a great guy. Uh, and on the note he wrote to her, I still don't get what you were doing. It was great working with you. <laughs> Which I think is phenomenal. Fucking <laughs> dick. There he there there he there he goes and proves me wrong. 
He's apparently not the nicest guy in the world. You should read, I, I have a screenplay for you to I want to steal that move just to start doing that to people, like people in my yeah. life. Yeah, I still don't know what you're doing, but That's it was great seeing you. Great seeing you. <laughs> I just, I mean, she is, I'm not really sure I understand what she's doing in this movie either. Like it's, but I'll be honest, she's kind of, she also has a very weird performance in inner space too. Like she just seems to be just one of those like kooky actors. And she's, I think Dante was just like, go for yeah. it. I just think she was too grounded. <laughs> that might be it too. I think the that whole thing, like, the whole thing, was so weird to me because it's just like I'm just supposed to believe these two people are just a normal married couple. These these people are fucking insane together. <laughs> what is ha- It's as ridiculous as Bill and Ted with Bill's dad marrying the, the senior. <laughs> it's like it's lunacy, and if yeah. you don't comment on it, that's yeah. fine. But fucking enjoy it. Have more fun it's with it. Stop acting like this is fucking Archie and Edith. I know. Bruce Dern, by the way, who seems like he's just gnawing at the bit to go like even more bizarre with it. Like it just, he's, I don't know. He's a veteran, I guess. He's a king. (laughs) No, I love Bruce Dern. He's so good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's also a painting on the mantle at the Clopex of a a surgery of some sort that's happening. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I also appreciate it. I did actually that like the 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 femur was a terrible prop. I actually thought this was a good prop because I really like how how Bruce Dern is sort of examining it, and it just seems to be an abstract painting. And then Clopec comes and sets it upright, and we see it's, it's an operating theater. It's an operating theater. <laughs> like torso ripped open. <laughs> I literally That's- looked at the painting, and I was like, if I could have one prop from the birds, oh, yeah. it would be that painting for sure. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, but that yeah, that I mean, is that's a good painting. It's a good painting, but then the, again, <laughs> part of the problem is that then the movie it kind of goes into a little bit of it becomes it becomes boring again. Carrie Fisher is essentially shown the door. She leaves, and they decide that they're going to go on this sort of mission inside the house because the Klopeks have left for reasons that are unexplained, just because they essentially need them to for well, story it was purposes. An explanation, but it was very confusing. I didn't it really understand like- it. It was like he had he's he's on sabbatical from a university and he's getting okay. transferred or so- something and they have to go to the university to discuss the transfer. But the whole family has to go. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the whole family goes, and they decide that they're going to go into the house. They go into the backyard. They do digging. They can't find anything. They go into the basement. They find the crematorium that Kenny referred to at the top of this podcast, okay. uh, or what they think is it. Yeah, they kind of don't. They're just like, oh, it's weird that there's a furnace here right. that is that gets so hot, but we're not going <laughs> to open it. We're going to human sized. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's this, like Tom Hanks is unusual for a home. Yeah, like Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is like one millimeter from turning to camera, like right looking down the barrel mm-hmm. of the lens, and says like, "That's not a normal furnace." And he basically yeah. says that. Yeah, um, I mean, it basically is a sign that says, "Insert cadaver here." <laughs> Yeah. So we do. We do have to get to the one moment in this movie when somebody does break the fourth wall, which was yes. a real surprise. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty funny. <laughs> it's bizarre. When I, anyway, so uh, <laughs> so the Klopek show back up with the police. It's a whole thing, uh, and then they realize that with the pickaxe, they struck a gas line and they basically blow up the house, um, and. Ray emerges in a classic Tom Hanks moment 
where he's like all covered in soot and he's smoking and he like the way he goes down the stairs is pretty fantastically Tom Hanks where it's like he doesn't actually step down the stairs he kind of like goes like like he just kind of slides down the stairs yeah um which is great and then you know Walter arrives home during the commotion he's been in the hospital he's asked the Klopex to collect his mail while he was away which is so confusing very confusing and that's why the toupee was stuck in the mail like it's it's so sweaty like you're just like what is why is any of this happening uh yeah and then tom hanks kind of goes full tom hanks and starts yelling at everybody and says we're all lunatics not them i've been blown up take me to the hospital which is great i also think that the other highlight for me just because it's so tom hanks is he picks up the gurney (laughs) physically picks up the gurney himself that was hilarious and puts it into the ambulance and then gets on the gurney himself kenny this is basically exactly what you were just saying he's like i'm I'm going to the hospital. I'm sick. I'm going to the hospital. It's my, um, it's my dream. It's, uh, I mean, I think that moment when he, when he freaks out and loses his cool on everyone and it's like, and it's sort of this classic Tom Hanks performance of like, we're the monsters, we're the monsters, you know, like that would have been, that moment would have worked better if he hadn't kind of lost his cool in the exact same way, like three other times in the yep. movie yep. before that point. Totally. I'm going to pause it. I, I, I think that there is a version <laughs> that's totally fucking wacky, totally fucking nihilistic. And like, I keep thinking of like, I keep thinking of like, like Costa Rica films that just like feel like they make no sense whatsoever, except that it's wacky and wild and insane. And maybe that's where you go. Um, I can't think of an American film that really like, I, I just, this is, this is so fucking American, but if this was in a different language of subtitles and I felt like I could excuse myself for not understanding what's happening, <laughs> I might be like, there's just a lot of crazy shit going on. Maybe there's genius. I, I, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not. It's a lot not of wackiness. It's. I yeah. mean, this gets back That's to the, yes. of the lack of specificity. Is it's just kind of like, oh, yes. I don't know, like sub guys in the suburbs wearing shorts and drinking beer, and <laughs> then there are some people killing people. Like, yep. it'd be again, yep. it reminds you of like like a movie like. And it doesn't remind me at all of this movie, but it could have been like a movie like Dog Tooth. That's just like, what's happening? What's going on? Wah! It's just like, like it's that kind of like wacky ass shit. But it's hard when I understand everything that's happening uh, and all, and I just decided stupid. <laughs> I, I mean, it's. I, I think there's definitely something to what you're saying, Kenny. It does feel like a script made by like a Google interpreter. Like yeah. it has a, it has like a a, a vest, it has vestiges of feeling like a script that sort of makes sense. But if you look beneath the surface, you're like none of this makes any sense. It's all it's all bonkers. Um, I do. It needs to be said though that that moment when Ray picks up the gurney and puts himself into the ambulance was improvised by Tom Hanks. Okay. So, yeah, which of course because it's a good moment. King moment. It made me laugh. Uh, I should have done a pass on the script. 
Well, absolutely. That, that goes without saying. So, so then basically he gets to the ambulance. Werner enters the ambulance, tries to kill him with a lethal injection. They crash the house into the Weingartner's house, ejecting Werner and Ray out of the back of the ambulance. I did like the camera mounted on the gurney as he's trying to like inject him as it's flying down the street. Like at this point, I'm just like, I'm in because this movie just doesn't care anymore. And it's just like, we're just going to do this. Um, then they find all the, just a trunk full of bones. Um, and, uh, and Hans, the youngest son tries to run away dressed like Peter Pan or something. Did you see his, his yeah. costume? Why was yeah. he dressed that way? Well, that's oh, just yeah. his garb. I, I felt like, I felt like they were trying to, at certain moments, it was like they were sort of trying to, like, give the audience just a whiff of Nazi, right? Like, it was like, oh. <laughs> just a, just uh, a smattering. Just a soupçon <laughs> of Nazi. Um, you know, there was like, <sighs> like they, they were vaguely Germanic, Teutonic. Right, like, right. The, Hans is wearing lederhosen. Like they're just right. creepy murderers, yeah. but it didn't actually invest in that idea in any way. No, it really doesn't. And and it's it. There's at one point during that dinner when they're all when they first get introduced to them, one of them asks if they're from a specific. Is, uh, Sla- is that Slavic? Like, and he gets angry. He says, "No." Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay, so you're not that. <laughs> So it's it does to your point feel like they just kind of want to make fun of Eastern European something or other, like they almost feel like like it's like Transylvania or something like like yeah. the, the, like it has this yeah. kind of yeah. that's right yeah yeah right. it's 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 young Frankenstein fifteen <laughs> years later and yeah there's any there's never any even like like gesture of explanation about. W- what their motivation might be, right? Mm-hmm. No. It, unless I missed it. No, no. They just, it seems like they killed them for the house. But then... Are all the bones. Like, there's definitely more than... It's a good house. murder house. <laughs> it's a good murder It's a good murder I house. mean, look at the place. If you it's are good. a murderer, yeah. you know, yeah. if you want to, if you, you want to go a little incognito... Why do they want to live there so badly? What is the... I don't understand. It's a... I mean, you wouldn't understand because you're not a murderer. But... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> there's a certain aesthetic murderers try to achieve, right. you know, the creepy house and the, the right. gaslight and all that stuff that I yeah. think that they really, they were really going for. And I think they really nailed it. Well, yeah. can I also, so here, here's, and I don't, you know, listen, it's, it's not really worth trying to <laughs> pick apart the logistics of this film, but if your neighbor moved, right, wouldn't you see them move? Wouldn't you? I don't know. It, the fact that the naps just disappeared out of thin air, and then when asked how the Klopniks or whatever their name, the Klopex moved Klopex. in, he said, "We didn't see a moving truck." And they said, "Oh, but it was there," and that's all that we have. Like it's just, it just, it's. And meanwhile, the whole story <sighs> is that the people on this block don't miss anything; they're constantly watching Correct. each other. Correct. Yeah. Uh, no. Nope, nope. So yeah, I mean, ultimately, uh, yeah. Don't I make think movies during the writer's strike. I was literally going to say the writer's strike really, really. Yep. So I have to read one other quick thing to you guys because The Guardian did an article about this film around its 30th anniversary milestone. 
praising it. So I do need to kind of give the other side just so that we can hear what The Guardian has to say. Um, In his review of the original release, Dean of American Film Critics Roger Ebert dinged what he perceived as a lack of historical context. It seemed recycled out of fairly ancient ideas of what the suburbs are really like. I kept expecting to see Dennis the Menace or Mr. Wilson wandering down the street. Sincerest apologies to the Ebert estate, but surely the director knew what he was doing. A full decade before American Beauty picked up a Best Picture statuette for portraying the suburbs as a hellacious prison of middle age. Dante has made his peace with them as a locus of unease for aging boomers nervous about their generation's slide out of radicalism. He's writing the neighborhood as an idea and a social ecosystem rather than a geography, making the distinction between actual houses and rows of colonial facets lined up like old West sound stages. The difference between the suburbs and the burbs. I wrote, I read it because it, it exists. It exists. There are people that defend this movie that think that this movie has a depth that I think they're giving Dante and Dana Olson a lot of credit. Wow. (laughs) Do you, do you think that there's anything to this idea, Kenny or, or or like, do you feel like there's anything to that? No, which, which idea specifically? Well, specifically this idea of like, is there sort of a, a boomer kind of, suburban yes. kind of radical okay yeah okay no it's not radical yes i think that i think that that they are grafting on this movie something that's not there yes that but is, i yes. do but i do think that they're i think the story of the boomers you just read on writing right phil mm-hmm. where stephen king has my favorite line about the boomers which was we were going to change the world but instead we invented the home shopping network <laughs> which is who they are Right. We, and, and I think that they have a real identity crisis when it comes to we were the ones, you know, in Chicago yeah. in 1969 fighting against the police. And now we're the ones in the 1989 who yeah. are, you know, worried about uh, keeping up with the Joneses or whatever it is. And I do think that that eats at them. Um, Lila, I feel like you have something else. No, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that sort of cultural assessment. Sure. But within the context of this oh, movie, totally agree with you on like, that. None yeah. of the none of the characters in this movie <laughs> were like in fucking Chicago in 1968. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they, they were not like at Altamont. You know, like they, these characters were young Republicans. Like they're not. They're all like the movie just feels very Republican, and I don't. You don't sense an anxiety, and partly it's just because there aren't any real characters in the movie. Like Ray is not a real character, so you don't sense, uh, like you don't sense him grappling with how far he has descended from his youthful idealism. You know, there's there's not a sense of anxiety there. I totally agree with you. This movie does none of that. Does none of what I was saying. It's also not uh, a skewering of the but, suburbs. Like I, I understand that the take that. American Beauty is that. And listen, American Beauty is its own animal. We did our episode on it. Kenny and I both have feelings about American Beauty. Um, And this just doesn't feel like it's a skewering really of anything. Like this idea, this projecting of this, of this, like I, I I was, it's very surprising to me. Yes, Kenny, what were you going to say? No, it's, it's, when you say they're Republicans, I think you're right. And I think that there's a, there's a, privilege to not caring that you know you just not everybody has it but this ability to not give a shit 
about people other than yourself. So what, what they do seem to give a shit about and what Ray seems to want to reclaim is the ability to just do nothing. Yes. He just likes the idea of doing nothing. And yeah. the existential crisis that comes along with doing nothing is, it, no pun, is not nothing, but it's not resonant for the 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 population at large. And it certainly isn't the kind of thing that I want to watch a whole movie about unless yeah. you are pointing out specifically how empty that is. Right. And if you want to point out how empty that that his like the last 20 years of his life has have been. And at the end, he feels like, gosh, instead of like getting drunk in the 60s, you know, and doing whatever he was doing, you know, I maybe missed an opportunity to to make the world a better place. Uh, there's something there. Yeah, but, but that's, that's specific, Kenny. And this movie will have none of that. No, but that's that's it's, it's just an interesting kind of point because it's yeah. funny. We did, you know. Feel the dreams, which is explicitly they were explicit. they were they were explicit radicals who have who feel like they have sold out to some extent yep. and are, are are very much at a point of midlife crisis and who are they and what what do we stand for and right. where do we belong? Um, and I think that's a really interesting thing that you know a lot of our parents have gone through, and sadly, a lot of that generation has just decided like. It was fun to care when we care, but now it's like fun to fill up our four four one ks. Yeah, and like, I don't mean judge. I don't mean to be judgy when I say that. I just mean to be like. I just want to say that's an interesting trajectory for a human being to go down from having the again. It is a privilege to be a you know a wealthy white person and and care about people outside of yourself. There's a there's privilege to that, and you do lose some of that privilege when you have children. And a family who need you, but it's just there's there's a lot there. This film is about none of that. This film is about wouldn't it be great if I could just drink beer for a week? And you want to know what it probably would be great, but there's not a movie there. Wouldn't it be great if my wife would quit nagging me about going to our lake cabin, <laughs> about hanging out with the family? <laughs> yeah, by the way, they're terrible parents. Like oh, the kid well. is like Talila's Talila. Another Talila's point. Like the obvious move in this is like age up the kid about five years and have him be part of this. Yeah. Right. You know, age up the kid about five years and have them actually like go on a weird adventure together, like reluctantly as reluctant as it may be. If you want to like do that. You did that. Have, you could have gotten rid of the Corey Feldman character, right? And, and you could have just had, yeah. yeah. Or you could have had Carrie Fisher be part of it because, you know, there's a big fucking yeah. reason. I mean, it's pretty obvious why Carrie Fisher is not a part of it. It's because someone involved said, well, women don't think. Like right. women, like women don't like, like, they don't like to, they don't like to have fun. They're just, you know, they're always that, trying to like squawk and, and there's this, fun. Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's like a, for better or worse, I think there's some prote- protectionism here, which is like, also women wouldn't do anything this crazy, Except but like, not to be crazy. <laughs> that's the stupidest part of it. But like a movie today, I yeah. think. You would at least like Game Night, which I think it was mentioned in that Guardian article. In the Guardian article. Yeah. And Game Night is about two crazy people who are right. both a game obsessed to the point where like it's destroying their marriage and life. And that's like it's a that's great a movie. Good start. It's I think a it's an movie. amazing movie. It's one of my favorite movies. But that's a good starting point, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It's, you know, it gives Rachel McAdams, uh, you know, pathos and perspective and all that shit. It's yeah. this is obvious stuff. 
Like this is like this I will say though, like, hard to make your characters characters. Don't you think that someone could remake this very easily though? Yes. Like I, I, it, I was a, actually a thinking about that. Yeah, I was actually thinking about how like because as you, I mean, I think Phil, you said this at the very beginning, like somebody could have made this a good movie. Mm-hmm. Like there, there mm-hmm. is a lot of the raw material there for mm-hmm. a, for a movie. Yeah, was just completely squandered in every way. It's yeah. it, it really. I mean, we we've you know we've said this, but like it really comes down to the script, and the script is just weak. I think that the talent above the line um, and Joe Dante, it's all there. It's just they they're working from something that couldn't be rewritten because it was a strike. <laughs> when uh, when I first when when I first started watching it, and the yeah. name of the screenwriter came up, I assumed it was a woman. Mm-hmm. At first, and I got Dana, about sure. halfway in, and I was like, "There is just no way a woman wrote this movie. Yeah. It just yeah. feels so like like a certain kind of. I mean, I I'm assuming that this person is like a boomer himself, For sure. but there's a certain kind of like male boomer mentality that just kind of like radiates off of this script. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's 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 incredible. It seems like, and again, mm-hmm. only because this is a podcast on Patreon, no one listens, and I can extrapolate <laughs> as much as I want. Um, it seems like he got a week off. He <laughs> sat back, and he's like, "I, you know, it would be interesting if something really fucked up my week off." And he just started writing without an outline. Yeah. <laughs> he started writing without characters. <laughs> he started writing with like with just the seed yeah. of like. Yeah. So, uh, and maybe, maybe, maybe it was, maybe it was that little voice inside of his head that said, "You don't deserve a week off," which I think we probably <laughs> all feel, right? Um, and maybe that was his little monster oh. that started this. But yeah, it does. Just I, the guy's done stuff. The guy is not nobody. The guy. What else did know, he do? Uh, George of the Jungle, which people like. Inspector Gadget, which you and I have seen but not covered yet, which is very bad. I didn't know he did. Well, we're going to talk about that. And that then, movie is not well written either, for the record. Bad movie, but he only has a story <laughs> credit. Uh, and um, then um, he Jesus. created Harvey Danger or Harry Danger, oh, Harvey wow. Day, which okay. is a uh, which is a Nickelodeon show, which yep. is you know actually I believe having a renaissance on Netflix right now. So he's I'm sure doing very well, and I'm sure he's had a look. He deserves a week I, off. <laughs> guy deserves a week off. Give this man a cigar and a brewski. <laughs> Let him hang out at the craft services table while we improv some that better. That's so time. much fun. Oh <laughs> Jesus! Christ. I, yeah, I, I, it must be great to be a writer that you and you can't change anything. You're just like, yeah, just go do yeah. what you got to do. No, nope. <laughs> let me call. Let me call my union rep and see if right. I can. Uh, so can I ask, and I don't know the answer to this, but I'm sure that, I mean, I feel like I do, but I'm going to ask anyway. Does that mean that he can't even like give a note on an already written thing? Like, can he say to the director, I think that the actor needs to do it like X, Y, and Z? Like, was he allowed to produce? The, oh, or, that's a great question. Because like, if he literally just had to sit there with his hands tied or dress like a police officer or whatever the fuck he was doing, I just think that's... Somebody get David Goodman on the phone. (laughs) It feels to me like I imagine that he probably, first and foremost, it should be said, if he was on set, he was doing stuff and he was probably breaking the WGA regulations at the time. But, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, this was a movie, guys. So, yeah, you were going to say something, Henning? Well, just that we'll never be able to prove it. (laughs) He had the last laugh. He really, (laughs) he really did. 
Yeah. Although Tom this, Hanks, I, Tom Hanks could throw him under the bus. This movie made fifty million dollars <laughs> on a fourteen million dollar budget. No. Like <laughs> this, you know, there, there, there were there are worse plights for uh, for Dana Olson, I guess. Yeah, Tom Hanks' oh, note to him was, "Good job not writing this movie." Yeah. <laughs> In quotation marks. I still have no idea what you were doing. Yeah. <laughs> But well, it was that, nice yeah. meeting you. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of our episodes, uh, Leela, we rate uh, the movies from zero to 99. Um, in 89, before this podcast and after this podcast to see whether or not there were shifts in any of those numbers. Uh, I will go first. Uh, in 89, I probably saw this film. As I said, it was haunting. Uh, it stayed with me in a weird way, uh, but I have certainly have not seen it in you know 25 years or maybe more. Um, but in 89, I probably would have given it, I don't know, 65, let's say, you know, uh, it was it was not a movie that I ever really thought about much um, before this podcast. I, I don't know, guys. I really was on the fence about this because it was like, First of all, I wasn't sure, Leela, how much you liked this film. So I was a little bit like, oh, God, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to upset our guest. Um, so I was... I, I, I don't care. I, <laughs> Kenny doesn't care about people. But, um, <laughs> but I, I do care about people. I respect them enough. Of course. Uh, so so uh, I came into this podcast, honestly, at like a 59. Like, I didn't think oh. that this movie was particularly good. Um, and I feel like this podcast has only lowered that number. I will say this though, I and and this you should know this too, Lila, which is that fifty percent is the line with which you would recommend or not recommend this film to somebody else to watch. I would still recommend this film, probably. I think that there's enough here. It's not a good movie, but like if you're going in eyes open and you have decided you want to watch the Burbs, I'm not going to be a person to say like don't watch the Tom Hanks suburbs horror movie. Like it's weird. I don't think it's particularly good, but I'm at like 55. That's where I'm at. Wow. I know. Maybe I'd be too kind. I might be too kind. I might be too kind. Well, you know, Joe Dante, John Dante will appreciate it. Uh, I read my little thing already. Yeah. I had my only other little thing was uh, something to the effect that I can actually read it. I respect the shot, but what a miss. (laughs) Um, which is what I think. It, what a miss. Um, but I, I gave it a 44 before, which is, you know, like a, like a, like a, like a uh, exactly what I said. I, I, I think I thought that there was more there than there was, but after talking about it for an hour and a half, there is no there, there. I will go down quite a bit. Oh, really? I'm going to, I'm going to go to like a 28. Like, I think this movie oh, is wow. a stinker, like a, like a straight up stinker. It's definitely the worst movie we've done of the 89 batch. Um, well, even really? worse than always. Really worse than always. Yeah. Oh, definitely worse than always. I mean, always had one fatal flaw. Um, whereas, the love triangle at the center of it? Do you care the, about it? The man who, yes, once spoke of that triangle. Um, but uh, aside from that, like always, you know, stunk, but not like this. This sucks. So I'm, what did I give it a 20? I gave it a 28. I'm going to yeah. stick it at 28, which is surprising <laughs> for me. I'm shocked. Uh, I'm shocked that I'm going this low to this movie. I I, I am too. To- yeah. Go ahead, Leela. Leela, what about you? Well, I mean, as I said, I think in, in 89 when I watched it, and if it came out in February of 89, so I must have been eight, eight years okay. old. 
Okay. Um, and and I and I remember going to it with my dad, and it was like a. Would like, you take your eight-year-old to see this movie just out of curiosity? No, okay, okay. I have an eight-year-old, by the way, and I would not. I'm just gonna ask. <laughs> no, no. Um, but I, everything was different in '89. You know, it's like the things that I saw when I was eight are very mm-hmm. different from the things that my eight-year-old sees. For sure, not not uh, me. Kenny, Kenny's been showing his son rated our movie I since he was so six. Much. I know we're we're doing we're doing Tango and Cash next, and I'm like I was yelling at him I'm like you gotta come down you'll love it. He's like he's like it sounds it sounds like a lot of killing, Dad. I'm like yo, you'd love it. It is a lot of killing. My eight year old my eight year old would be thrilled. He is he's like desperate to to watch horror sure. movies. He's like, sure. can I please see it? And I'm like, whoa, no. don't do that. My kids are obsessed with it too. I've, ne- I've never let them watch it, but they're they they're, they they've seen Pennywise and they've always talked yeah. about it. Like this is the movie I'm gonna watch when it's like the equivalent of when I was a child. I'm like I'm gonna eat ice cream every day when I grow up. Yeah, like totally. they're like when I grow up, I'm going to watch it every day. Every day. My eight year old, my eight year old is begging to watch The Shining. I'm like, oh, do you have any concept of how fucked up you would be? Your eight year old sounds awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. If he sounds wants, like a cool if kid. He wants to come and hang out. Can't hang out with, with you and Rollins. He could watch. He could watch some shit over here. You won't believe. But we watch. We watch. Uh, it's mostly action movies, but R-rated action movies where where you know. I don't think I've ruined him. I got three others if I did. So. I don't think I've ruined him. What every kid loves to hear their fathers. <laughs> well, my, my dad did take me. Yes, my did dad, take, take you to something. My, my dad, you know, loved to take me to movies when I was a kid. And, um, and for some reason, I just really remember going to this one with him, I guess, for the reasons we've talked about. Um, and... <laughs> And like I, I think I really liked it when I was a kid, or at least it was like it, it, it um, it unsettled me in a satisfying way. Sure. You know. So, um, and I remember that that Corey Feldman line when he says, um, uh, "The pizza dude's here." That that became a refrain throughout my childhood. Every time we ordered pizza, my dad would go, "The pizza dude's here." And wow. so- that was improvised by Corey Feldman, by the way. Wow. It's like one of his, it's literally, like, it's one of my Master. favorite things. <laughs> Sorry, wow. but I continue. Um, so I think, I think in 1989, I'm going to give it a, um, a 78. Sure. Okay. And then just off a cliff. And then <laughs> I, I'm going to like, so it, now it's before, like sure. before we started recording. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 correct. Um, I'm going to give it a 18. Oh, wow. <laughs> My word. <laughs> and as of this moment, uh, I'm going to downgrade it to a 12. <laughs> You're that my favorite is, guest. You're my favorite a, guest. Yeah, honestly, you I'm might so be my favorite guest. That's, that's incredible. A, I'm God, not sure I, we've I, ever I, seen a movie just get kneecapped like that. I love. I, I love it. It was my pitch. But what's so cool? What's so cool about your your twelve? It's great. Is that this is a, a movie that a lot of people like? I know. So you're so you're putting yourself out there in a way that you know very few guests do, and I have such such Come respect for it. Yeah, bring it on. Bring it film Twitter. 
Go for it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I respect the hell out of it. I think it's great. That's fantastic. Well, I'm yeah, just, cool. I'm really, I feel like we, we have, our numbers really span the gamut here. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, let's be real. I'm yeah, being from, too, from I'm bad, being, from bad to worse. I'm being too kind to it. It, it probably doesn't deserve to be where it is. Um, it, it, it probably deserves to be in the basement, in the crematorium basement with you guys. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but more than anything, let's, let's collect all the, all the, VHS all the bones of this and put them in the furnace. <laughs> Turn no, 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 put them in a trunk. Just put them in the trunk of your car. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, this movie deserves to be uh, in a trunk full of bones. But, you know, that's that's what it is. Um, Leela, thank you so much for being here and for, for talking with us about this. <laughs> we we a, really... It was such a weird delight. Thank you. No, I mean, truly, uh, I couldn't have asked for anyone. Uh, you know, this was this was an absolute blast. And it was, honestly, I was worried that you were going to come in here as a diehard Burbs fan. And we were going to and we were going to be like, oh, no, a bird head. A burb head. Burb head. Yeah. Burb head. <laughs> it would have been a good bit, by the way. Yes. Yeah. 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 But uh, but honestly, thank you so much for taking the time. Yes. Really- thank you. No. Thank you, guys. It was fun. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's nineteen eighty nine. Baby fish mouth. Baby fish mouth. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.